protests erupt in Shanghai. Residents there say they've had enough of the city's restrictive lockdown rules. Experts explain how vaccine passports and a cashless society could change the West for good. We look at how the Chinese Communist Party is connected. Could China strike the U.S. without firing a single shot? We hear from a retired U.S. general about how it could happen through unrestricted warfare. And for those watching our full episode, we zoom in on China's economy for a look at real estate, supply chains, and predictions from a prominent Chinese economist recently silenced on social media. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. China's top financial hub has entered its sixth week of COVID-19-driven lockdown. Some Shanghai districts began to ease the draconian measures recently, but most of the city's residents are still confined to their homes. But reports show some residents are starting to fight back, seemingly fed up with the prolonged virus restrictions and food shortages. One video shows residents from an unknown compound attempting to pass through a fenced barrier. The incident happened on Sunday after news about the local community's committee came to light. Residents say they discovered committee workers were hiding the supplies that should have been distributed to residents. Another clip captured crowds of residents taking to the streets in protest. That's after their community committee workers were caught transferring supplies earmarked for locals. To avoid being found out, the workers reportedly wrapped bags of rice in trash bags. But residents discovered what was happening anyway. But that's not all. Yet another protest broke out in a major suburban district of Shanghai. Residents there have been under lockdown for 45 days, and many have run out of food. On Sunday night, residents there gathered to protest. Police soon arrived on the scene, but residents surrounded the responding officers. The person who filmed this video can be heard calling Shanghai a failure. Shanghai's food shortages are driving locals to protest lockdown rules. Many who are stuck at home are doing what they can to make their voices heard, like banging pots and pans together to draw attention to the issue. Now, that sound has become a symbol of local anger. Alongside the noise, some residents have found other ways to express their demands. In one neighborhood, the words, we need supplies, were projected onto a nearby building. As protest spreads, locals have dubbed it a mobile concert festival. But as more attention falls on the issue, Chinese authorities are trying to shift the blame outside China. They say the protests are a conspiracy directed by foreign agents. That description came from a police notice addressing residents. It also urges them to, quote, distinguish right from wrong and reflect their demands through reasonable channels so as not to give overseas forces a chance. Community committees are also repeating the same message over loudspeakers in some areas, claiming the message is part of what they call a notice from relevant departments. As much of the city's residents protest the poor conditions, a few of Shanghai's most privileged are taking a different route and showing off their abundance online. One woman posted photos of a seafood delivery from a Michelin-starred restaurant, 
writing that her mother-in-law had ordered it for her. She added that it was a shame she's allergic to seafood and would need a large fridge to store it. Other posts appear to show the woman's mother-in-law is a high-ranking Communist Party official. Some are comparing the Biden administration's newly formed Disinformation Governance Board to a panel from classic literature, the Ministry of Truth, from the novel 1984. Panelists explain what this, along with vaccine passports and a cashless society, could do to our future and how it connects to the Chinese Communist Party. Jason Perry with NTD's Evening News has the story. A digital gulag is a means of denying a person freedom, not by placing them in a physical prison, but by placing them in a digital prison. Reggie Littlejohn is founder and president of Women's Rights Without Frontiers. She spoke at a webinar titled Digital Gulag, Vaccine Passports, Disinformation, and a Cashless Society. She says if people do not resist now, a digital prison can easily be accomplished with vaccine passports, a cashless society, and the Disinformation Governance Board. Censorship of speech and the control of the flow of information are straight out of the Chinese Communist Party playbook. She said the Disinformation Board is the Chinese Communist Party's central propaganda department with American characteristics. She explained that anything that uses a digital QR code to show your vaccination status is a vaccine passport, and much of your information can be attached to it. So they can be used to, for, to attach facial recognition, gate recognition, real-time geolocation so that, that they, uh, they know always where you are, your social media posts, your internet search history, your internet spending history, and very importantly, your credit card and your bank accounts. She says one of the issues the government would be able to do in a cashless society is if they label you as a domestic terrorist, they can cut you off from being able to spend your money, or as she calls it, put you in a digital prison. We reached out to the Department of Homeland Security for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. Jason Perry, NTD News. If the Chinese Communist regime invades Taiwan, how many people on the island are willing to take up arms and defend their homeland? A recent survey says 73 percent. This is 2 percent less compared to the previous survey conducted half a year ago. 54 percent say they are confident in Taiwan's defense capabilities. This is a 4 percent drop compared to the last survey before the war in Ukraine began. The think tank of Taiwan's defense ministry carried out the survey. It aims to analyze if the war in Ukraine is impacting the willpower of people in Taiwan to combat the Chinese Communist Party. The results indicate that the war in Ukraine only has a slight impact on the morale of people in Taiwan. But there's now an obvious difference when people consider the U.S. factor. A question in the survey asks, do you think the U.S. would send troops to help Taiwan? Before the war in Ukraine, 57% said they believe so, but now only 40% say they do. Another question shows the willpower of the Taiwanese people to protect their country. It asks, if the U.S. doesn't send any troops to Taiwan, and if you are not confident in Taiwan's ability to combat China, in other words, when there is very little chance of winning, are you still willing to fight for Taiwan? 60% say yes. The Chinese Communist Party is working to push its influence across the global stage. But what's the most likely way the regime would choose to strike the U.S. in times of conflict?
A book published in 1999 by two Chinese colonels suggests it may be possible without military force. A retired Air Force Brigadier General explained the issue in an interview with the Epoch Times American Thought Leaders program. Weapons, battlefields, and soldiers have been the picture of wars for centuries. But in 1999, two Chinese colonels devised a new form of warfare that may not require any of it. When it came out, and it was kind of esoteric, a little bit complicated, really sounding crazy. General Spaulding is an expert on the Chinese regime's key strategy, unrestricted warfare. Its first rule is, there are no rules. According to what the Chinese colonels told to an interviewer, Therefore, any and all tools are allowed when trying to defeat a technologically superior adversary, like the U.S., without firing a single shot. How is that done? From hacking into websites, to flooding U.S. streets with fentanyl, to stealing intellectual property. And now another method is being used, exploiting the current world situation, the global pandemic. How can I use it to my advantage? And so, you know, unrestricted warfare, you know, makes, it makes perfect sense that you would shut down domestic travel and allow international travel. Why? Because you want to take advantage of, you don't want to suffer the pandemic on your own. I mean, that's what we would expect, right? We would expect, no, let's keep it within, you know, if it happened in America, let's keep it here. Let's don't let it break out internationally. Well, now you're not thinking like the Chinese Communist Party, where, you know, warfare is day, daily, it never ends. There's no beginning and end like there is here in, in the West. China is the world's second largest air travel market after the U.S. But during the beginning of the pandemic, China continued to allow international travel to and from Hubei province, the epicenter of the outbreak. That's well past the date when China imposed harsh restrictions on domestic travel to isolate Wuhan. If you're the Chinese Communist Party, if you're saying domestically you're not going to allow Chinese nationals to to fly in country, but you are going to allow them to fly internationally. Not only are you going to allow them to fly, if a country says, you know, don't fly to our nation, you're going to say that they're essentially being racist. You've really got to think hard about that. Like, what, what's the motivation behind that? On February 4th, 2020, Chinese authorities requested that local airlines continue to operate flights to countries that didn't impose travel restrictions. Throughout January and February, China imposed lockdowns as the virus spread within its cities, but continued to allow international travel abroad. It was only on March 27, 2020, after the virus had become a global pandemic, that China closed its borders to foreign visitors. Everybody needs to suffer the pandemic, because if we all suffer the pandemic, then we'll be able to take advantage of that fact. What do we have? We own the supply chain. What are they going to need? PPE and masks and everything else. So how do we take advantage of that? I mean, these are the, this is the way the Chinese Communist Party thinks. The pandemic has allowed China to gain influence by offering the world much needed public health goods. Beijing has attempted to portray its medical supplies as donations. But a think tank report found that more than 99% of China's PPE exports in 2020 were sold, not donated hey, you have a shared vision for, you know, how humans should treat other humans. And the Chinese Communist Party just is not that type of organization. 
Since the outbreak first broke out in Wuhan back in 2019, the Chinese Communist Party has been hiding data and not sharing vital information about the virus within the international community. That includes what the party knew about human-to-human -human transmission and how fast the virus spreads. So within China, the message was, this is really, really bad. But there's no data. No data forthcoming. To this day, there's no data forthcoming out of China. General Spaulding says that made global scientists reliant on China for solutions. So scientists need data. The Chinese were obfuscating the data. Well, if you don't have data and you don't want to be wrong to the low side of casualties because you know, you want to be prepared for the worst. So plan for the worst, hope for the best. That's, that's what you're thinking as an epidemiologist. He adds the Chinese Communist Party will never come out and say anything when there's a crisis. Instead, it will watch the situation and take advantage of it. It was all designed to create enormous fear within populations all around the globe. Now, the first step of gaining control of any population is to create some kind of fear. You're willing to give up your freedoms uh, because you seek safety. And so in unrestricted warfare, they talk about this idea of, you know, create, how do you create fear and how do you take advantage of fear? Spalding says that fear itself was the unrestricted warfare doctrine in play at the time. But as for achieving it, that's where the use of Internet comes into play which Spalding says far surpasses any other weapon system ever deployed in history. Coming up, what does the Communist Party really see as the greatest threat to its rule? And how is it using its influence to infiltrate democratic societies and their economies? Next, we dive deeper into a book on unrestricted warfare for clues. More on that in just a minute here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The Chinese Communist regime's war doctrine, outlined in unrestricted warfare in 1999, has recently attracted attention from Western media. That's as some of the methods it proposed that China could use to confront the United States are already coming to fruition. Tactics like hacking websites, targeting financial institutions, and using the foreign media are all on the list. Let's hear more from General Robert Spaulding. The internet within, you know, less than 20 years was, you know, turned to the dark side. That's as web connections built in cyberspace dominate nearly all aspects of American life today, and increasingly so throughout the world. From global trade to communications to social society. And that makes the book Unrestricted Warfare, published by the Chinese regime in 1999, even more relevant today. NPR reports that in recent years, the Chinese regime has launched, quote, persistent, sophisticated cyber attacks on businesses, academia, research institutions, and government agencies. Experts have warned last year that this type of state-sponsored hacking from China has reached record levels. That's despite Communist Party leader Xi Jinping saying as early as in 2015 that he wants to stop Chinese hacking. They'll say they will but then it'll never be forthcoming. The brilliance of China is to give concessions by saying they're gonna give concessions, but not actually giving concessions. There's a difference here. And they do this time and time and time. They do it with um, a good example of this is 
is uh, stop hacking into our systems. Okay, we'll stop that. But do they stop? No, they don't stop. According to Spalding, this false promise is part of the doctrine in play described in Unrestricted Warfare, basically using the enemy's false assumptions against them. He says that's why the relationship between the Chinese regime and the U.S. is a parasitic one. I've talked to people that had factories here in the United States that were picked up brick by brick and moved to China. Over time, that has a net effect of sapping the nation of its productive capacity. If we no longer have these ability to produce things, in other words, we no longer have control over the supply chain. But how has China pulled that off? Well, because they were using our scientists and engineers to teach them how to make uh, hypersonics. When all of that happens over the course of 30 years, and it's not reinvested in that society, well, then you have this you know, decline in prosperity. You have this de decline in economic performance. You have this decline in your ability to actually provide for your own future. For foreign businesses and funds, operating in China isn't easy. The country has a strict capital control system, including the exchange rate of the yuan, a well-known non-convertible currency. This type of currency isn't freely traded in the traditional way. And because of it, Spalding warns executives and foreign funds risk not being able to withdraw their money out of China. The parasite ends up killing the host, right? But in the case of the Chinese Communist Party, that's their goal anyway. You would think that that we would have figured this out by now. And, and well, yeah, if you're doing business with somebody and they rip you off the first time, do you go in for more? No, you don't. But with China, we're just, I want more of that. Can I get some more of that, please? Why? What I've seen in you know, almost 10 years of working on this is it's greed, mostly greed. I mean, I've had people come up to either myself or people that work uh, with me and say, I don't really care as long as I get my money. And that's the beauty of China's system. If they can get you to have no other values or morality except um, what it means to you in terms of money, they've got you. They've got you exactly where they want, want you. And you may have the most, um, you may have the best impression of yourself as a human being. But ultimately, if that becomes, you know, if you have that type of relationship with China, then you have to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I've embraced what is the most heinous things that humans can do to other humans because you're in service. You're in service to the party. Spalding says the core of the problem lies within the Chinese Communist Party's system. He explains it's opposed to Western values like democracy and the idea that human rights come from God. He says that for the party, the concept freedom is one of the greatest threats to its rule. According to Spalding, the new forms of non-military warfare described in the book Unrestricted Warfare have now arrived. And everyone is on that battlefield, whether they realize it or not. He says the American people must rethink what war means today, especially in the eyes of the Chinese Communist Party. Now let's move over to the housing sector for an update on China's top three real estate companies. Data shows these three companies saw sales dips of more than 40 percent this year from January to April compared to last year.
In the first four months of 2022, sales reached $64 billion. That marks a sharp decline from last year, where sales hit a whopping $109 billion in the same period. The current round of COVID-19 infections, plus April lockdowns in many Chinese cities, have added to the dire situation. Currently, more than 300 million people in dozens of Chinese cities are under total or partial lockdown orders. Away from real estate and looking at the broader market, bearish forecasts about China's economy just earned a prominent market analyst a ban from Chinese social media. Over the weekend, Chinese social media platform Weibo deleted an account belonging to Hong Hao, head of research at Bocom International. That's China's fifth largest state-owned bank. His account had three million followers. At the same time, his account on another major Chinese social media, WeChat, was also suspended. What sparked the ban? Hong voiced concern about the COVID-19-driven lockdown in Shanghai. He posted on Twitter in March, writing, Shanghai, zero movement, zero GDP. He also warned of consequences stemming from another policy ordered by the Chinese communist regime. It's clamped down on big tech companies. What's more, Hong made predictions about China's stock market, saying the Shanghai Composite Index might drop below 3,000 points. His forecast came true last week, before his social media accounts were censored. An important economic indicator seems to be proving him correct. The Manufacturing Purchasing Managers Index, or PMI, fell to 47.4 in April, down from 49.5 in previous months. This indicates that China's factory activity contracted at a steeper rate since last month. With one in five of the world's container ships stuck at shipping ports and the war in Ukraine with seemingly no end in sight, the global supply chain is already stretched. Now, the Chinese regime's escalating lockdowns may be making things worse. Let's take a look. Four of the world's five biggest seaports that handle shipping containers are located in China. One of them is in Shanghai. Last year, the value of Chinese exports exceeded $6 trillion for the first time. In comparison, the U.S. exported around $230 billion worth of goods last year. Two Chinese cities that were newly added to the country's lockdown list are expected to trigger more worldwide shockwaves. The eastern city of Yiwu is dubbed the world's supermarket. It's the center for small commodities sold to more than 210 countries and regions, which range from Christmas decorations to U.S. presidential campaign goods. In 2021, 9.3 billion packages were shipped from this city. Now local authorities have ordered residents not to leave their neighborhoods. Schools are also closed and public transportation is running on reduced schedules. And in North China, the city of Baotou is home to the world's largest rare earth deposit. This group of chemical elements is critical to manufacturing everything from mobile phones to cars and warplanes. Baotou is in the province of Inner Mongolia, which accounts for a quarter of China's coal output. Lockdowns in this area could stress China's energy supply. And what does the bigger picture in China look like? Over 300 million people across China are under full or partial lockdowns right now. Nearly 20% of America's imported goods come from China. That includes 35% of all electronics flowing into America. 
The founder and chairman of one of Asia's biggest private equity investors told Financial Times that the Chinese economy at this moment is in the worst shape in the past 30 years. He adds that he is very cautious toward China markets. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus at ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching and see you tomorrow.